0: Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 diabetes for about 8 years now. I love
1: hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My
0: diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 37 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're diving into the glycemic index and talking about glycemic load. These are important tools to understand how food affects our blood sugars and why we can eat blueberries, but maybe not pineapple when on a low-carb protocol. And this is also a learning episode for Jess, so it's going to be me talking for most of this. And a quick reminder for everyone, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes, please leave us a comment or send an email to Colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. Jesse, you have the win of the week. ready, right, let's get into it. So for this past week, I had to get a new pump through Medtronic
1: because mine had a factory recall on it, which is good that we got the notice and sent it in and everything. So if you do have a 670 Medtronic pump that hasn't been either replaced or changed in the last couple of months, I would go on Medtronic or email you know your contact at Medtronic and ask what's up, whether you should think about getting a new pump or not. It's because of the pressure system in the reservoir cap or the reservoir holder that there are problems with it giving too much or too little insulin without the pump even knowing it. So, it's very important and you could experience some blood sugar problems because of it.
0: I was just going to say that wasn't that the uh, the recall that we talked about a few weeks ago and when I mentioned it you're like I already had that recall cuz your pump broke. <laughs> so, what happened was
1: I had the recall and then they so my pump broke. And then a couple months later, it was the recall. Now, we thought that since my pump had already broke like a month before the recall happened, that it wouldn't, you know, they sent me the new pump and everything. But that wasn't the case. So they had to resend me a pump. So right now I'm on this new pump that's connected to my sensor and everything. Uh, It's working out pretty good. And this was my win of the week this week, that my sensor and my pump are working together well. Well, that's good. I'm glad that
0: you yeah. actually had the whole pump thing resolved because it was kind of funny. Like, oh, I didn't have that, and and then they had to actually send you a new pump, and then they realized that they sent you a defective pump. <laughs> I don't that's think a fail they from that they
1: i yeah, but kind of a win for me because now I know I have like all of my old settings written down, my new settings written down. And it got me updated on
0: everything, so it's pretty good. It's working out really well, so I'm okay. pretty proud of it. So, I have the fail this week. I'm working from home, and that means I'm using less insulin. And this almost directly relates to last week's hack to only put as much insulin in your reservoir that you need for three days. The last two sites, uh, actually, I think the last three sites have gone into day four, and the first one was great. I ran it down to about four units. And the second and third ones didn't do so well. I ran high all night, the first one into the morning, and the second one, it just didn't want to come down below. I think 140-ish. So I got to take my own advice. And I also have to do a quick plug that I finally got Control IQ. That's not a fail. That's just a little plug that I've been so excited to get Control IQ and now I have it. What is our hack this week?
1: All right. For those who do have Medtronic, this is going to be a little exclusive to you guys today for our hack. But for Medtronic pumps, if you have the clip that goes with it, if you detach the clip, the bottom of it actually unscrews your battery cap so when you take off the clip and you need to replace your battery and you don't have a penny or a quarter or you know any spare change you use the bottom of it to just unscrew it and then you use it to screw it back on once you get the battery replaced that's a really good hack yeah i didn't really know about it until they told me when i first got on the 670 or 650 g i believe it was back then my doctors told me that
0: a couple of years ago and i
1: you know, I I don't know who knows that and who doesn't, but I thought I'd be willing to share a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, on the old 723s, like the Rebel pumps, I had to always have a quarter around if I had to open the battery cap. Otherwise I would try to use my thumb, my thumbnail and I'd be like, ow, it hurts. It doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) That never worked out for me very well. Yeah. All right. So let's get talking about glycemic index. So you've probably heard of the glycemic index before, but If you don't use it on the regular to make decisions about your food, it probably doesn't mean much to you. So what is the glycemic index? Well, the glycemic index is a relative numerical ranking from 0 to 100 of carbohydrates in food according to how they affect blood sugars or insulin response in non-diabetics. The higher a food is on the glycemic index, the more it will spike blood sugar or activate an insulin response. Highly refined and processed foods are much higher on the list than low-carb natural foods. In fact, they say that if it doesn't have carbs in it, it won't be on the glycemic index. So that's why you won't find meats and proteins on there. A low glycemic index is considered 55 or below. Mid-glycemic index is between 55 and 70, and high glycemic index is considered over 70. I'm not sure how much I agree with this rating system because pasta has a GI of 40 to 45, which is considered low, but it will still spike your blood sugar really high. I have a story about the glycemic index that I really like telling people. For most of the two years I worked in Eastern Washington, I stopped at Starbucks on the way to work every day for a grande soy vanilla latte and a chonga bagel with cream cheese. They may have renamed it to the everything bagel now, but the point is I had a bagel in the morning for breakfast, like every day. I didn't know about the glycemic index at this point, or if I did, I didn't really care or hadn't researched it enough to understand how my blood sugar reacted to different foods. Almost immediately after my first bite of bagel every morning, my blood sugar would skyrocket. It often felt instantaneous. And it was because white bread bagels, depending on which list you look at, have a glycemic index up to 103. That means it's got a faster glycemic impact than pure glucose. So no wonder my blood sugars were out of control after taking one bite. And the craziest thing is that I thought I was just not taking enough insulin. So I would give higher doses of insulin but I would still experience the instant spike in my blood sugar and the crash afterward that would be much more dramatic because of the extra insulin. My diet really sucked pre-2016, but I always blamed my insulin for not controlling my high blood sugars instead of blaming the food I was eating. So how is glycemic index measured? Well, the glycemic index foundation describes it like this. The glycemic index value of a food is determined by feeding 10 or more healthy people a portion of the food containing 50 grams of digestible or available carbohydrate, and then measuring the effect on their blood glucose levels over the next two hours. For each person, the area under their two hour blood glucose response for this food is then measured. On another occasion, that the same 10 people consume an equal carbohydrate portion of the sugar glucose, which is the reference food, and their two hour blood glucose response is also measured. A glycemic index value for the test food is then calculated for each person, dividing their glucose response for the test food by their glucose response for the reference food. The final glycemic index value for the test food is the average glycemic index value for the 10 people. It sounds really complicated. It's It's just taking averages. Foods with a high glycemic index score contain rapidly digested carbohydrate, which produces a large rapid rise and fall in the level of low glucose. In contrast, foods with a low glycemic index score contain slowly digested carbohydrate which produces a gradual, relatively low rise in the level of blood glucose, especially in non-diabetics. So the things that affect a GI level include how refined the carb is, its chemical and physical structure, the presence of fiber or fat, and how the macronutrients balance out. Macronutrients are carbs, fats, and proteins. If you have a low carb food with a high protein and fat, it will affect your blood sugar far less than eating a high carb, high fat food like pizza and all diabetics know that post-pizza blood sugars are notoriously difficult to manage, and it's because of the macronutrient profile and the high glycemic index of the dough. Whenever I had pizza, I would almost always have a low blood sugar followed by a crazy high into the 300s because the insulin would hit before the carbs did, thanks to the fat and the protein. When that happened, I'd correct the low with low snacks, but that just made the later high worse. For pump users, you can set an extended bolus or a dual wave bolus to give a portion of the bolus later when the carbs really hit the system. I like to think that Medtronic designed the dual-wave bolus specifically with pizza in mind. (laughs) Something to be cautious about with the glycemic index is the small sample size of people used to determine the number. The glycemic index foundation has only sample sizes of 10 people or maybe a few more. They didn't specify the top number. I don't think that's enough for the result to be statistically significant, and this is also why you get a lot of variability in the different GI lists when you Google it. Glycemicindex.com says that white bread bagels have a glycemic index of 69. That's technically on the upper edge of mid-impact, but it's a far cry from the 103 on other lists. For me, I know that bagels are the worst things I can eat, with rice not far behind. This goes to prove that, yet again, everyone is different, and everyone needs to do self-experimentation with what they eat and find out what works best for them. I can't eat a strawberry without my blood sugar going up, even if it's low on the glycemic index and also low on glycemic load. It all depends on how your body reacts to sugars. And I found that I'm incredibly sensitive to carbohydrates, especially when my infusion site is on its last legs. So I mentioned glycemic load. What does that mean? Well, the glycemic load is tied to glycemic index, and it takes into account both the quality and quantity of the carbs you're eating. But scientists have proven that the glycemic index is what actually helps with blood sugar control and losing weight, not glycemic load. How high your blood sugar rises and how long it stays high depends on the quality of the carbohydrates, or the glycemic index, and the quantity, and that's where glycemic load comes in. So glycemic load is calculated by multiplying the glycemic index number by the grams of carbohydrate in a portion and then dividing by 100. So if an apple's glycemic index is 38 and has 13 carbs, then the glycemic load is 4.94, which is rounded up to 5. A potato with a glycemic index of 85 and 14 carbs has a glycemic load of 11.9, rounded up to 12. What's interesting about glycemic load is that just from this calculation, you can predict that the potato will have twice the glycemic effect as the apple. Similar to glycemic index, we classify the glycemic load of a food as low, medium, or high where low is 10 or less, medium is 11 to 19, and high is over 20. Again, your mileage may vary when it comes to these numbers. Something with a low glycemic load might still affect your blood sugar more than you expected because of how your body reacts to sugars. It's all supposed to be a rule of thumb, not set in stone. Because I know that my body reacts super fast and really strongly when I eat carbs, it makes it a lot easier for me to consciously choose low-carb foods, and most low carb foods are naturally low on the glycemic index. So why are these important? Eating a low glycemic index diet has all sorts of health benefits, not the least of which is keeping your blood sugar steady and your diabetes under control. Other benefits include increased mental performance, it helps your brain. Low glycemic index foods provide longer lasting energy instead of short bursts of energy and then a crash. Reduced risk of macular degeneration, that so helps your eyeballs. Reduced breast cancer risk, Improved blood flow and lower risk of heart disease. Improved PCOS symptoms, and that's polycystic ovarian syndrome. Uh, You get better weight management. And then the last one, which I found interesting, is less acne. Acne is actually caused by inflammation, and inflammation comes from, among other things, a high-carb diet. When you choose low-glycemic index foods, you also naturally choose low-glycemic load foods. Low GI foods produce a slower and lower insulin or blood sugar response which means for diabetics, it's easier to catch the high and then correct for it. Now, something I wondered about when researching for this episode is if there are any low-carb foods that are high on the GI. And the answer is no, but there are plenty of low-glycemic index foods that are actually pretty high in carb if you're following a low-carb protocol. This includes oatmeal, some pastas, sweet potato, corn, beans and legumes, most fruits, milk, and chickpeas, among other things. It's really important to remember that to be on the glycemic index, a food has to have carbs in it. Meats, proteins, and fats don't have carbs in them so they're not on the glycemic index and by default don't really affect your blood sugar the same way that carbs do. Some diabetics find it useful to follow a low GI protocol rather than a low carb protocol and that's 100% up to you as an individual. Again, experiment. Find what works for you and go with it. Now we are gonna do our diabetes spotlight. And the spotlight this week is on a new study released by the University of Exeter demonstrating that type 1 diabetes is not one, but two distinct conditions defined by diagnosis age. The paper summary says that children who are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes under the age of 7 have a different form or endotype of the condition compared to those diagnosed age 13 or older. The research funded by Diabetes UK and JDRF shows for the first time that children who are diagnosed under 7 years old do not process insulin properly and the cells that make it are quickly destroyed. Surprisingly, those who are older at diagnosis, aged 13 or over, often continue to produce normal insulin, findings which reignite important questions about whether these dormant insulin producing cells could be reinvigorated to work more effectively. The research team said that the significance of this could be enormous in helping us to understand what causes the illness and in unlocking avenues to prevent future generations of children from getting type 1 diabetes. It might also lead to new treatments if we can find ways to reactivate dormant insulin-producing cells in the older age group. This would be a significant step forward towards the holy grail to find a cure for some people. The paper proposes that children diagnosed between the ages of 7 and 12 could fall into either group. The research team is now working on more precise ways to define which type of diabetes such children have by studying the small amounts of insulin released into their blood. So I'm constantly amazed by the amount of research happening in the diabetes world. When I attended the JDRF Greater Northwest Summit in November, I sat in on a talk by a University of Washington professor who actually presented on research that shows there are multiple different types of type 1 diabetes. And one of the people he mentioned was a woman who, no matter how much insulin she took, her blood sugars would not come down. And it turned out all she needed was a little $4 a month pill because it wasn't actually the kind of type 1 diabetes we understand. It was a different form. And all she needed was this little $4 a month pill. She didn't even need insulin.
1: That's really interesting because I know there's like that mysterious type 3, and I say this in quotations, by the way, just for our listeners. Air quotes. Yeah, a lot of them. As of right now, there is no type 3 diabetes, but it's interesting because, you know, a kid brought up to me the other day, oh, you have, which type one, or which diabetes do you have, one, two, or three? I'm like, one, there's no three, but that brings up the question, is there different types of diabetes that we just don't know about yet?
0: Oh, I think there's plenty that we don't know about. And that's what all the researchers are studying, specifically that one guy at UW, which was cool.
1: Oh, cool. So our question for you, our lovely audience this week, have you ever heard of the glycemic index before today? I certainly haven't. And have you or will you incorporate it into your food protocol? Let us know if or it does fit into your plan management
0: i'm kind of surprised you've never heard of the glycemic index before didn't they teach it to you guys at camp
1: no huh
0: they teach us like what starchier foods do to you
1: so at camp they they kind of i wouldn't say dumb it down but make it more child appropriate so i'd never heard of the glycemic index scale per se but you know potatoes are going to be more than like cornice for instance (laughs) yeah apples so it's just a different way of thinking at it, I guess you could say, where like starchier foods are going to be more, fruits are going to be like easier
0: to control your diabetes, but
1: yeah, I've never heard of it before. Oh,
0: huh. well, I'm glad you're learning stuff along with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yay. Do you use this? The glycemic or the Well, yeah, I mean, I don't really, index?
0: not consciously because I eat low carb. And so naturally right. I'm going to be picking all the stuff that is low glycemic index. The only thing that goes outside of that are my Smarty rolls. Because those those are pretty much the only high glycemic index foods I eat because it's pure glucose, basically. Yeah, sure.
1: Wow. It's
0: like a 100 on the scale because that's basically the control.
1: Those have no effect on my blood sugar.
0: Really? None. That's why you eat the fruit snacks, right?
1: Yeah, because those are the ones that kick in the most. So I ate a Smarties one time, like when I was like 240, just to see what it would do because I knew it didn't affect me when I was low. I went down instead.
0: Are you sure there weren't other factors like insulin on board and exercise?
1: No, I was staying in the car all day.
0: We were on a road trip. Weird. I don't know. That's why you got to find what works for you.
1: Yeah, that, that's clearly why. Yeah.
0: All right. That is it for this episode of This is Type 1. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 37. That's the number 37. And if you have an idea for an upcoming episode, please leave us a comment or send an email. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. This is the perfect time to learn how to manage your mind. If you're stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, and want some help getting back on track and honoring your commitments to yourself, sign up for accountability coaching at www.inspiredforward.com slash coaching. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward and our email is colleen at
1: I'm on Instagram, as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please
0: feel free to send me questions or comments you have about the show or about diabetes itself. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, since that really helps other people find us. And subscribe wherever you're listening. Be sure to listen next week when we talk about the effect our environment has on diabetes care and what you can do to make sure you're not living at the effect of your environment. Remember, You control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.